Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word and turn to John chapter 14. And our text this morning is verse 15. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. This is a verse that we could probably quote off the top of our heads, not opening up the Bible. It's, it's familiar to us. It's, it's one of the sayings of Christ that, um, that's almost, you know, uh, cultural, but certainly is on the, the top of our minds. And, of course, we can't, we can't dismiss the context that this is set in. I mean, this is in the midst of this discourse that Jesus is having with his men uh, in the upper room, right? That last long uh, building up of his apostles before Jesus leaves them and dies and rises again and goes um, to be with his father. And if you remember um, in previous sermons, as we looked at chapter 14, the whole context of this section is comfort. He's comforting his apostles because they are going to be losing him, and he's getting them ready for that change that's coming, huge change. He's preparing them for that. He's comforting the apostles upon his departure, preparing them for what is coming next. And Now think about that. When those who love the Lord face trials, the way to navigate those trials by what Jesus says here is by obeying His commandments. He's like comforting them. And He's saying, He's essentially saying to them, look, I'm going away, and the way for you to carry on, the way for you to express your love for Me, the way, what you're going to do next is call to mind My commandments and obey them then it will go well for you, right? And so that's not exactly what we would expect, but that's one lesson from this text. I do have to admit, I have only a few thoughts on this text this morning. I was, I'm going to make excuses. I was sick, and so I was in brain fog. And one of the things that pastors have to do is we give attention to the work of the presbytery as well. And there was a lot of presbytery work for me this week. Just dealing with other issues in other churches. And pastors have a commitment beyond the local church to the churches of the presbytery. And so um, a lot of meetings with one particular church and then conversations with a few others. And that took, took my time this week. And, and, um, and uh, it's, it's what we have to do. Pray for the churches of the presbytery, okay? Pray for the 
for the church plants especially because they're at a tender stage. Not that any church, you know, every church it feels like is at a tender stage all through its history. But pray for those church plants. Anyway, so I have, I have a number of, uh, I, I have basically one thought on this text and then I want to share with you what, what others have said about this text. But, but think of it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Here's what Calvin says on this verse. The love with which the disciples loved Christ was true and sincere. And yet there was some superstition mixed with it as is frequently the case with ourselves. For it was very foolish in them to wish to keep him in the world. To correct this fault, he bids them direct their love to another end, and that is to employ themselves in keeping the commandments which he had given them. This is undoubtedly a useful doctrine for of those who think that they love Christ. Now think of this. This is undoubtedly a useful doctrine for of those who think that they love Christ. There are very few who honor him as they ought to do. But on the contrary, after having performed small and trivial services, they give themselves no farther concern. The true love of Christ, on the other hand, is regulated by the observation of his doctrine as the only rule. But we are likewise reminded how sinful our affections are, since even the love which we bear to Christ is not without fault, if it be not directed to a pure obedience. Now, is it not true that when we think of love for somebody, we don't think of obedience as the expression of that love? Right? When we think of love, we think of its it's affection. It's like warmth. It's, it's, um, it's vibes. It's like being on the same page. It's like having the same interest. It's like romantic, right? And Jesus says, if you love me, you will do everything I told you to do. If you love Jesus, you will pursue obedience. Now, here's what Matthew Henry said. If you, keep, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keeping the commandments of Christ is here put for the practice of godliness in general and for the faithful and diligent discharge of their office as apostles in particular. Now, observe one. When Christ is comforting them, he bids them keep his commandments. In the context of comfort, he says, obedience. For we must not expect comfort but in the way of duty. The same word, parakaleo, signifies both to exhort and to comfort. Two, when they were in care what they should do, now that their master was leaving them and what would become of them now, he bids them keep his commandments and then nothing could come amiss to them. In difficult times, our care concerning the events of the day should be swallowed up in a care concerning the, concerning the duty of the day. Right, The duty of the day. Three, when they were showing their love to Christ by their, grieve, by their grieving to think of his departure and the sorrow which filled their hearts upon the foresight of that, he bids them, if they would show their love to him, do it not by these weak and feminine passions, 
but by their conscientious care to perform their trust and by a universal obedience to his commands. This is better than sacrifice, better than tears. Lovest thou me, feed my lambs, Jesus said to Peter. And then four, when Christ has given them precious promises of the answer of their prayers and the coming of the Comforter, he lays down this as a limitation of the promises. Provided you keep my commandments from a principle of love to me, Christ will not be an advocate for any but those that will be ruled and advised by him as their counsel. Follow the conduct of the Spirit, and you shall have the comfort of the Spirit. So that's what he says. Again, it's not how we conceive of love. Love to Christ is expressed in obeying his commands. I'm just going to say that like a hundred times because that's the verse. Love to Christ is expressed by obedience to his commands. Ryle says, if you love me, prove your love not by weeping and lamenting at my departure, right? If you love me, prove your love not by weeping and lamenting, right? Don't, don't when I leave, just start bawling your eyes out. Just do what I told you to do. I mean, it doesn't feel like love to us. But by striving to do my will when I am gone, doing and not shedding tears is the best proof of love. The commandments here mentioned must include all the Lord's moral teaching while on earth, and especially such rules and laws as he laid down in the Sermon on the Mount. I cannot but think that in this verse our Lord had in view the disposition of his disciples to give way to grief and distress at his leaving them, and to forget that the true test of love was not useless and barren lamentation, but practical obedience to their master's commands. That's love. That's love. Don't weep, but, but obey. Again, it's hard for us to conceive of obedience being the expression of our love for someone, but think about it. Obedience only and ever flows from love, right? Obedience only and ever flows from love. When was the last time you even seriously considered anything said by somebody you disliked or did not love? You are not inclined to even listen to somebody you don't love, right? Um, you're more likely to eat dirt right, than you are to obey someone you despise, you just won't listen to them. On the other hand, are there people in your life for whom you would do almost anything? A mentor, a friend, uh, a wife or a husband, a boss, a pastor, a son or a daughter, um, a father or a mother. That desire to carry out his will arises out of love and must arise out of love, right? How much more then ought we to obey the lover of our souls, the one who died to redeem us from sin, the one who loved us before we loved him, right? The one who died for us when we were yet sinners. He did all of that. He has loved us genuinely. And now we return love to him, not 
not simply by singing his praises, though we do, but by obeying what he commands. Spurgeon said this, Obedience must have love for its mother, nurse, and food. The essence of obedience lies in the hearty love which prompts the deed rather than in the deed itself. I can conceive it possible that a man might in his outward life keep Christ's commands and yet might never keep them at all so as to be accepted before God. If he became obedient by compulsion but would have disobeyed if he dared, then his heart was not right before God and his actions were of little worth. The commandments are to be kept out of love to him who gave them. In obedience to love is to live. If we love Christ, we live Christ. Love to the person of our Lord is the very salt of our sacrifices. To put it most practically, I often say to myself, today I have performed all the duties of my office, but have I been careful to abide in my Lord's love? I have not failed as to do all that was possible to me. I have gone from early morning to late at night, packing as much work as possible into every hour, trying to do it with all my heart. But have I, after all, done this as unto the Lord and for his sake? I tremble lest I should serve God merely because I happen to be a minister and am called to preach his word, or because the natural routine of the day carries me through it. I am concerned that I may be impelled, but by no force but the love of Jesus. This fear often humbles me in the dust and prevents all glorying in what I have done. Only as we love our Lord can our obedience be true and acceptable. The main care of our lives should be to do right and to do it because we love the Lord. And so the question to contemplate this morning, this simple verse, this verse that needs very little explanation, honestly, is why do you obey the Lord? Is it love? Or do you have the view of Job's comforters? That if I do bad things, bad things must happen to me, and if I do good things, good things must happen to me. That's not faith, right? That's to treat God like uh, that, that man in the parable of the talents, who believed his master to be a hard man. And your obedience to be, you know, is your obedience a matter of bargaining with God? If I do well, he'll do well to me. If I do bad, he'll do bad to me. It turns everything upside down, right? Obedience, true obedience, springs from a love toward God, a deep-seated affection, a mature relationship with a longing to respond to his good commands. Is this us? Is this us? Or is obedience a fight and you'd rather indulge yourself? Right? Indulge yourself a bit than love the God who is love. Stop and think about every single day of your life. Every day we are faced with many temptations. We might suddenly, or not so suddenly, right, desire to indulge in certain things on our phones without our spouses knowing or our parents knowing. We close the door to our bedroom and our lusts demand our attention 
we, we might want to find, you know, the temptation may not be that. It may be something else. We, we might want to find some pills to take that make us feel good. Real issue. We grumble and complain and get our pride all twisted up in almost every conversation we have. We lash out in anger at stupid people who annoy us. Will your willpower be enough to stop all of those temptations? Is your willpower enough to stop all of those temptations? Will a, will a cost-benefit analysis right, be enough to stop those temptations? Like, if I give in to this, this is the pleasure I get, this is what bad may come. And so we just balance it out, and if, you know, if the ledger is taller on one side, well then we can, you know, we can go after that. If I go for it, what could be the consequences? Will self-love stop you from giving in to those temptations? Will a scolding from a brother at your weekly accountability groups be enough to stop you from giving in to those temptations? I think you've probably found that all those things have failed you in the past as far as your obedience to the Lord. Right? Perhaps they've helped temporarily. I'm not discounting the utility of, of accountability groups, but ultimately they have failed. Love to God is the only thing that will stop you in your tracks when you're faced with temptation. Love to God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love to God. When the temptation comes on you and you're faced with obedience or disobedience, right? You're making a choice between the love of God and the love of your sin. That's every time you're tempted. Will I love God and trust what He's said and obey what, what He says is going to lead to uh, joy? Or will I just obey my flesh? Obey my sin. Obey those, those urges. The knowledge of your Savior and your constant communion with Him and your prayers and your study of Him and His Word and your fellowship with the saints whom He has redeemed and His glory ought to come crashing into your mind when you're faced with temptation. His glory. His power. His word, His commandments. That should come crashing in when you're faced with temptation. When you're making that choice, which we make every day, right? Making that choice between God and your flesh. Will we love God or will we love our sin? Will we love God and in that moment of temptation remember His glory? Have some consciousness of the greatness of God and His commands? Will we remember His works? Will we remember His mercy and His kindness? Will we remember His, his commands? So is your loyalty to God 
or let's call it your faith in God, active at that level? Is it active in your temptations? Right? No temptation has overtaken you but what is common to man. We all face temptations. But is, is your love for God active at the point of temptation? Right? Active at that level. Or is your compassion simply reserved for your flesh? If you love your flesh, you obey its commands. The Roman Catholics fought the Reformers on this during the Reformation era. The Roman Catholics who had concocted an entire system that attempted to stoke obedience by guilt and self-acquired merit said that if Luther's doctrine of justification took hold, sin would flourish. That's what they always accuse the Reformers of saying. Look, if, if it's justification by faith alone, there's no way to tell people not to sin, right? Because they're, you know, they're, they're just going to become antinomian. If we say we are justified by faith alone, then there will be nothing to motivate people to be godly, but it is precisely the opposite of that. Do you realize that? Because of God's prior love and mercy and gifting of faith and justification that removes all of our sins, our obedience then arises out of love to God. Love to Him. Gratitude. Love. Our, our obedience is a song of praise to the just and justifying God. That's what it is. It's a song of praise. It's like a love song said to God. Obedience. God confers upon you His favor by faith alone, and your life then is lived as a thank offering to that gracious God. You do not obey because God holds a stick and expects you to rise to a certain level. Or perhaps that's what you do think God does. We have a tendency to think that way. We obey because God has been gracious to us and we love Him deeply for His kindness to us. And obedience arises from that principle of love. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Calvin, from his Institutes, on, says this, the doctrine of justification as incitement to the sinful is the, the section. It's an incitement. Justification as an incitement to the sinful. He says, but it is the most worthless of slanders to say men are invited to sin when we affirm the free forgiveness of sins in which we assert righteousness consists. For we say that it is of such great value that it cannot be paid for by any good of ours. Therefore, it can never be obtained except as a free gift. That's your salvation. Now, for us, indeed, it is free, but not so for Christ, who dearly bought it at the cost of His most sacred blood, apart from which there was no ransom of sufficient worth to satisfy God's judgment, when men are taught this, that God justifies in Jesus Christ, forgives sins in Jesus Christ, 
When men are taught this, they are made aware that they cannot do anything to prevent the shedding of his most sacred blood as often as they sin. Furthermore, we say that our foulness is such that it can never be cleansed except by the fountain of this purest blood. Ought not they who hear these things to conceive the greater dread of sin than if it were said that they are cleansed by the sprinkling of good works? And if they have any sense of God, how can they but dread once purified to wallow once more in the mire so as to disturb and poison as much as they can the purity of this fountain? I have washed my feet, says the believing soul, according to Solomon. How shall I defile them anew? Now it is... It's going. The Lord wants me to be quiet. Now it is plain which persons prefer to cheapen the forgiveness of sins and which ones to prostitute the dignity of righteousness. They make believe that God is appeased by their wretched satisfactions which are but dung. We affirm that the guilt of sin is too heavy to be atoned for by such light trifles, that it is too grave an offense against God to be remitted by those worthless satisfactions, that this, then, is the prerogative of Christ alone. They say that righteousness, if it fails, is restored and repaired by works of satisfaction. We count it too precious to be matched by any compensation of works, and therefore, to recover it, we must take refuge in God's mercy alone. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that doctrine of justification is the motivation for obedience. It's not a covering for disobedience. It's what motivates us. We've been purified. Why in the world would we want to go back to sin? Love, in other words, does not produce obedience in order to satisfy God as if God wants us to climb to Him in our righteousness. No, love is the response to God's free and justifying grace. And as we understand that, right, as that glorious reality actually sinks into our hearts and actually is active right at the point of temptation, as that love comes into our knowledge, we prove our knowledge through obedience. We prove our love through obedience. Obedience. So let me finish here. How do you answer this simple question? Do you love God? Do you love God? I've, I've written some poems that express that love, you say. And someone else says, well, I have warm, fuzzy feelings in my heart about God. Another says, I've read his word seven times through entirely in the past three years. Someone else says, I I come from a long line of Christians who loved God. And, And then certainly someone else would say, I've read a lot of theology books. But what is the answer? Do you love God? I obey His commands. 
I obey his commands. <clears throat> then why do you still sin? Why do we still sin? Because sin dwells within us, right? And it wages war against the Spirit, right? And I, I don't love him perfectly, and every sin is indeed the opposite of love to, to God. I acknowledge that. Even still, the Spirit wages war against the flesh. And so I see at least an attempt to obey. If you don't see any attempt to obey, there is no love. What a delight it is when I love my God so much that sin loses its savor and obedience is easy. You've had that experience, right? When temptation lost its savor. We could go to Romans 7 right now, right? And we could sink into that passage where Paul is like, I do what I don't want to do, I don't do what I'm supposed to do, and I... Uh, who will set me free from this body of death? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's the answer, the Lord Jesus Christ. But it will be your love for him that will motivate your obedience, and the expression of your love to God will be obedience and doing what he says. In fact, that's what God has told us. Jesus Christ has told us that the way to to express your love for me is to obey my commands. Let's pray. <clears throat> oh, Father, <clears throat> we praise you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the free grace that you've given to us in Jesus Christ, that you have removed our sins as far from us as east is from west. That the law no longer condemns us because we've been clothed in Christ's righteousness. Now, Father, I pray that we would study your commands. I pray that we would obey your commands. I pray that our love for you, our gratitude for your work would be so strong in us that obedience would be the delight of our souls. Help us in this. Father, sin dwells within us. And we pray that the Spirit would wage that war. And we know He will, and we know He will win. We love you, Father. We thank you for your kindness to us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.